and welcome to Art Dad Doesn't Like. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Bede. And this is the podcast where I try to convince Dad that there's a way to enjoy contemporary art that doesn't involve antagonising everyone by saying, how is that art? Well, it's a legitimate question sometimes, but um, let's plunge in and see what my conclusions are this week. <laughs> okay. Um, this week, I tried reflecting on who you are as a person and uh, what kind of art I might be able to convince you to like. And if I had to describe you, I wouldn't say that you're so much a Renaissance man as a Middle Ages man, because you often like to, much to mum's disdain, talk about humours and secretions and things like that. So I thought an appropriate piece for this week might be Andrea Serrano's Immersion or Piss Christ of 1987. You couldn't possibly have chosen something more controversial, could you? <laughs> this is a piece that I know that uh, you have a history with, but for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, this is a photo of a crucifix submerged in a jar of very vibrant urine. I actually think that Andreas might need to go to the doctor because we know that it's his urine. Yes, and um, I have seen the picture. And in fact, it was uh, quite a cause celebre in Australia because um, Archbishop Pell, who was then Archbishop of Melbourne, sought to get a court order to prevent its exhibition. And I wrote a case note on the case about uh, the judgment. Well, before we uh, let you turn this art podcast into, I'm sure, a very detailed lecture about uh, the legal intricacies surrounding this piece, I thought it would be good to give our listeners some background as to why, not only for the Australian public and Archbishop Pell, this piece might be controversial, but in your family setting. So I think that actually this week's piece is perhaps more art that my grandmother, your mother, Sophie, wouldn't like more than you. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I don't think she would have liked it at all. <laughs> she was, um, I mean, this piece has been... Uh, criticised for many as being blasphemous, but that was something that she wouldn't stand for at all. No, in fact, there's a, a story that might illustrate the staunchness of her religious beliefs in that um, at one stage she was detailed the task of taking some of her siblings to a cricket match and a gentleman admirer saw my mother and her siblings in the stand and very kindly bought some meat pies for them all and I can really appreciate that gesture because as you know I love meat pies um, <laughs> but um, it was Lent at the time and once the fellow had gone off having given these meat pies my mother refused to let her siblings eat them because you weren't supposed to eat meat during Lent so I he was his romantic ambitions were thwarted and so was the desire of her brothers and sisters to munch, munch into a lovely meat pie to be fair i think that uh one when one was making a flirtatious gesture you have to know your audience so perhaps the fact that he offered her a meat pie during lent was an indication that brings wouldn't work out between them that said you know your father was an atheist and so perhaps it was a more personal basis on which she didn't want the meat pies since she was obviously willing to be more flexible at other times yes I guess so <laughs> and we should say that there's perhaps more evidence of the uh, very catholic world that she grew up in that she was one of 
11 children so hopefully the sky doesn't have to buy 11 pies but um to move back to the focus on you you actually quite like to blaspheme in my experience well I did sometimes say words that I shouldn't have particularly when I was in heavy traffic in an unfamiliar city Um, but I don't think I've got a history of blasphemy per se have I well I think so you would even involve our pets in it Remember they uh, with Cindy? Oh no, with Cindy, who was one of our dear cats, I don't think I was blaspheming. I, I think what I was doing was uh, there was sometimes visitors to our house, one in particular who I didn't like having around, and I'd found out that he was prone to hay fever. So if he would come to the door, I would hold up Cindy, who shed a lot of fur, and mutter under my breath, the power of Cindy repels you, the power of Cindy repels you. So I don't think I was being blasphemous. I was just using one of God's creatures as an aid to exorcism. (laughs) Well, yes, I do. One of your favorite uh, quotes, lines, whatever from the Bible is that we have dominion over all, what is it, all creatures that creepeth upon the earth. So that's right. You were just leveraging that. That's right. Um, So as we've said, you've thought about this picture from a philosophical level quite deeply before, but before we get to that, I can assume that aesthetically speaking, you don't like it. That's a very correct hypothesis from which to start. (laughs) So what is it about it that you don't like? I mean, is it because you know that it is immersed in urine or is it the image itself what is it about the superdome that you don't like? Yeah, I think predominantly it's the urine dimension. Although um, I, although I respect the right of people to produce works that are blasphemous, um, and I'm presuming Serrano was trying to be provocative and to and to mock um, religion. Um, I'm I myself wouldn't uh, don't think it's the right thing to do um, to do that because it it can um, offend people. I think it's interesting you say that because you're quite a provocative person yourself. And I wouldn't say that when you have an idea that you want to express that you shy away from offending people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I guess that's a fair point to make. So perhaps more viscerally, it is the urine that's the disturbing dimension of it. Okay, well, let's contextualise this piece a little bit more. So Andrea Serrano was born in 1950 in New York and he studied art at the Brooklyn Museum, but he also worked as a drug dealer, so he had many skills. Uh, And this work explores his religious upbringing in his Hispanic Roman Catholic childhood home. And so, I mean, to the point of you not liking this piece, I mean, you grew up in a very... Catholic household but as I understand it your beliefs have drifted uh but I mean I'd be interested to know comparing what you would have thought as a child growing up in that household and being uh living variously in quite conservative countries being South Africa and Ireland to what extent would you then have thought it was a desecration and to what extent now would you think that it is and does that, yeah. to what extent would that impact your ideas about the piece? Yes, I, 
certainly, I mean, if I'd seen that um, during my youth, I would have thought this is absolutely um, uh, repulsive and, and shouldn't be produced. And although it's not now art that I like, it doesn't evoke a sense of, uh, it doesn't, I don't find it a pleasant experience to look at it. Um, my uh, exposure to the study of law and concepts of human rights have certainly uh, taught me that merely because some sectors of society would, like myself, perhaps find it um, offensive, that's not a ground for it not to be displayed. So I can really appreciate the distinction between the two. I mean, in terms of the idea of offence, if we boil down a bit more, I mean, not the urine, but boil down the idea um, to pure aesthetics, I don't think that looking at this piece without the title, I would be able to guess what the liquid was. I mean, to me, at first glance, if you look at this piece, it looks perhaps more like the crucifixes suspended in resin or amber or some kind of material like that. I think especially because it's a photograph and not an installation, it's very difficult to tell. Yes, if I was to have looked at the picture abstracted from the title, I would probably not, in fact, not have guessed that it was urine. I would probably have thought that maybe it was the product of one of my bets noir, assuming that that is the correct plural for bet noir in the art world, uh, namely Turner, because he was famous for producing these images which had these weird shimmering indistinct backgrounds. So yes, I wouldn't have guessed it, but that brings me to another point, which is how important is the title to one's understanding of, of the work? And does an artwork ever stand on its own without the title? I think in a sense, it's not necessary to come down to a yes, it is important or no, it's not important response to that question, because I think it opens up a variety of interpretations. In this case, making the audience aware that the liquid is urine, I think is uh, important for Serrano. Um, to get back to what you were saying earlier about his intent in making this piece, I'll read you a quote uh, of what he said about the piece uh, and in relation to the reaction to the piece, which in some sectors of the community was very vitriolic. So he said, the thing about the crucifix itself is that we treat it almost like a fashion accessory. When you see it, you're not horrified by it at all, but what it represents is the crucifixion of a man. And for Christ to have been crucified and laid on the cross for three days where he not only bled to death, he shat himself and peed himself to death. So if piss Christ upsets you, maybe it's a good thing to think about what happened on the cross. I mean, there he's saying that he's taken some of some urine to immerse the crucifix first to highlight that people in general treat uh, the crucifix as a fashion accessory or something as an object that's quite desensitized to our modern minds to highlight the horror of that act, even ab abstracted from a Christian religious context, the act of crucifixion, which the Romans did to all manner of dissidents and criminals 
was absolutely horrific. Yes, it was. Essentially, a person was being tortured to death. And I agree with the point about the fashion accessory. I mean, um, many people wear crucifixes around their neck. Madonna was famous for wearing them during um, her performances. And if you think of it, if one was to start a new religion with perhaps a little electric chair as its motif and people had little electric chairs on chains around their necks, people would be horrified. Um, but if that's Serrano's point, then I concur in it. But you see, when I first saw that picture and the title, I assumed that he was, um, he'd, he'd taken the photograph in order to uh, deliberately offend a church for some reason or other, which may have been legitimate. I didn't understand at all until you read me that piece that he was doing it in order to expose, one, the brutality of crucifixion and two, the trivialization of the cross in modern life, which I guess brings me around again to, do you need to understand an artwork not only in light of its title, but in also in light of its, its exegesis, it's, it, the explanation of it? Well, first of all, I, I think that it's good to focus on the fact that it's it's not as if this is a piece of conceptual art. So it's quite easy to analyze from a visual perspective. And in terms of the idea of imagery, I mean, you've brought up the very pertinent idea of the electric chair because Andy Warhol made, of course, those uh, screen prints of electric chairs. And I remember as a child at the National Gallery of Australia, there was one of those prints on display. And as a child, as a very small child, you don't realize that it's an electric chair. You just see the forms and it was a, a quite a bright yellow print. To a child, there's nothing so offensive about it. But then I remember on a school trip, uh, a, a guide at the gallery explained to us what it was. And as a child, when you're not necessarily exposed to the violence and horrors of the world, that was a really terrible realization. I think, especially as a child, it's very hard to conceive of death. Uh, and so then I really started to view the image as shocking. But of course, over the years of visiting the NGA and being exposed to more and more of the real world, you do become desensitized. So I think that even without knowing the authorial intent of Serrano, examining the piece in terms of your own sensitivities, whether those are religious or to do with the violence of the crucifixion is no bad thing. The visual analysis doesn't have to come up with a single answer. It can be exploratory. Sure. Um, I, 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 I understand that now. So I suppose it really, it's almost like saying to people, well, why don't you look at it again now that you know what the title and my idea behind it was. And even without that, shouldn't you have been shocked at the image of a human being on a cross? Yes, yeah. And I think that that idea of repeated looking and whether that makes you desensitized or whether that allows you to find new meaning is very important. I mean, I personally think that there are a lot of things in your life uh, that you should look at for a second time and reconsider your attitudes. <laughs> Can we not let the mists of history absorb some of those things? 
Um, well, I mean, to the point of the idea versus the aesthetic, uh, Sister Wendy is another figure who you're familiar with. Yes. In fact, when I used to teach a um, research methodology course to students who were going to study art in Australia, but who were then doing their preparatory studies in China, I used to show them some of Sister Wendy's um, TV episodes where she'd critique a work of art. And so for those who don't know, Sister Wendy is a, a British nun, but she's also an art historian. And she's commented on this piece by Serrano, and she said that she didn't consider it blasphemous, but rather a comments on reverence or not for, for the crucifix, uh, as we've discussed. But she did say, and this is my favourite uh, quote from her critique of him, that he's not a very gifted young man, but he's trying his best. <laughs> That's damning with faint praise, isn't it? <laughs> but yes, I, I think it is what she draws out there, though, is it can be very, it can be very hard, as we've seen, um, to separate the idea from the aesthetic and execution of the idea. I mean, I guess, is that perhaps, would you use that critique that his execution of the idea isn't seamless? Or do you like the execution of the idea, but you still find it distasteful in some way? Yes, I can, I can understand the intellectual basis now of the work, but uh, I don't like looking at the urine, I guess. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people would share that view. And I mean, a lot of people have, aside from the issue of the urine, just the use of the crucifix. I mean, this photograph has been subject to a lot of attacks. Uh, in Melbourne, one person tried to remove it from the wall. Two teenagers attacked it with a hammer. In France, it was also attacked by hammers. There must have been a, a big fire sale on hammers uh, internationally. And it was also attacked in Sweden. And it was also subject to a legal attack by one of your arch nemeses and an arch something else who we've already mentioned in this episode. Yes, Archbishop Pell tried to get an injunction to prohibit the exhibition of the work and um, it went to the Victorian Supreme Court and they ruled against him. Unfortunately, the decision was made on procedural grounds rather than on the um, far more interesting questions that I thought should have been addressed, which was whether blasphemy and bearing in mind that under the common law blasphemy applies only to Christianity uh, was still an offence and whether it was protected by some sort of uh, notion of artistic freedom. So the court didn't really get to the to the essence of that um, in its decision. And so the piece was allowed to go on display. But I, I mean, it's interesting to compare the attitude of Pell in bringing that action against Sister Wendy. I mean, they're both part of not only the Catholic faith, but the institution. And, and I, I think another aspect of all this is that, you know, whereas the law does rightly protect people against personal impairment of dignity, for example, through defamation, it, it doesn't and shouldn't protect people against the secondary offense uh, they might feel if, for example, you said to a follower of Plato, 
well, I think Platonic philosophy is bunkum. Or if you said to a speaker of Italian, I don't like the sound of Italian and it doesn't communicate well, uh, you know, criticizing or um, insulting in inverted commas, a belief or even a person now dead who was the founder of a belief can't be a right of action. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to say many things. Well, yes, it would greatly impair my ability to criticise your continued obsession with uh, constitutional reform, which philosophically I don't have a problem with. But when one has been exposed to it for 25 years, it's uh, quite a lot to listen to, I have to say. I think your difficulty with my doctrines was perhaps based on some alleged inconsistency between advocating for human rights in society in general and not allowing them at home. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's um, hypocritically insightful. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, this issue of personal insult that one might feel in seeing something uh, one doesn't like, I mean, that's very pertinent today. I mean, we've quite recently seen this terrible attack on Rushdie, which has been in the news, which is part of the ongoing opposition to his book, The Satanic Verses. Yes, and that, that's a very good example of, of, of an attack on someone for what they've said about a person who is no longer alive. And, and it's, it's a very similar um, issue. I mean, what role in this issue of blasphemy and art do you think authorial intent plays? Because in relation to blasphemy, Serrano has said, I had no idea Piss Christ would get the attention it did, since I meant neither blasphemy nor offence by it. I've been a Catholic all my life, so I'm a follower of Christ. And we've said already that, um, you know, it was more a critique on how society thinks about crucifixion, whether of Jesus or other people historically. That's very interesting. Yes, it is. And I mean, his explanation, which I wasn't aware of, um, throws a whole new light on the picture. But notwithstanding that one might like the picture, you can, one, appreciate the idea which is now being disclosed that underlies it. And secondly, say that even if it had been presented with blasphemous intent, I don't think that that should be grounds for prohibiting its display. Yes, I mean, in the end, uh, this whole case didn't help Pell's cause much. Not only did he not succeed, but the image was subsequently included in an exhibition called Down by Law, which was a show that formed part of the 2006 Whitney Biennial. So as with many types of legal action, sometimes drawing attention to things one doesn't like uh, has the opposite effect. But I mean, on that basis of what you've just said, and what we really need to get down to is, do you like the piece now, either on, well, on these philosophical grounds? On philosophical grounds, yes, but aesthetically still no vested or burdened as I am with the knowledge of what liquid is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will have one more attempt at uh, bringing you around to a holistic liking for this picture. Uh, art critic Lucy R. Rippard has presented a case for the formal, so aesthetic values of the image, saying that it's a darkly beautiful photographic image, 
the small wooden plastic crucifix becomes virtually monumental as it floats, photographically enlarged in a deep rosy glow that is both ominous and glorious. It's beautiful writing. I'll, I'll <laughs> leave it at that. Okay, well, I think we've got half a win there because you've come around to the idea. So that's, I will take that for what it is. On that basis, and on the basis not only of uh, the discussions on this piece, but your uh, purported self-imagining as a, a lowercase liberal defender of human rights, do you have any advice for families when someone wants to do something blasphemous? Yes, I think that, you know, if you don't tolerate a degree of blasphemy, it just goes underground. In, in fact, uh, that topic reminds me of a of a story about family friends of your mother's um the the husband and wife were both jewish but the wife was far more orthodox than the husband and she in accordance with her orthodox views wouldn't allow pork to be consumed in uh, in the family so he would go off to the shed in the garden and barbecue himself some pork sausages and eat them and then it caused all sorts of marital discord when he was discovered which I always, you know, again, the sympathy goes out to both the wannabe consumers of meat pies and the wannabe consumer of pork sausage. Well, that's also, uh, it brings into a lot of, it brings up a lot of cultural conflict there because Borobos, this uh, South African pork sausage that you're referring to, is a key aspect of uh, South African culture, so it would be a very difficult mental battle to to win, I think, between orthodoxy and consumption of burrowors. It would indeed, and I'm thankfully not burdened by that and can eat burrowors to my heart's content. <laughs> well, on that note of tolerance, which is a very positive and, I must say, surprising message coming from you, having grown up in your household, uh, <laughs> next time we're going to be talking about something which I hope will be even easier to bring you around to liking and that is Fiona Hall's and you may need to correct my Latin here Paradisus Terrestris of 1989 did I pronounce that correctly? Yes it sounds interesting uh, can't wait <laughs> Well, good. Uh, Dad's keen, so I hope everyone else is too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Dad Doesn't Like, and we hope to have you here again next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.